My name is Trevor. I'm the children's ministry pastor here on staff. Um, and before I get started this morning, I want to start with a story of the most memorable day in my life. Now, if you know anything about me, sports are like the biggest thing. Like I will stop everything. I'll put a game on and like clean my apartment. I won't even be paying attention, but I'll like, I have to have that noise in the background. Well, um, and because sports were so big, but I knew that I could never be a college athlete. Like, I, I'm just not, right? I'm not very tall, I'm not the most athletic, but when I went to college at Moody Bible Institute, I still wanted to be involved. So I decided, hey, you know what? I'm gonna be the men's basketball manager. And I had no idea what that meant, but I was gonna do it anyway because it sounded like it was fun. Well, I did that for four years. But in that four years, there were some really exciting things that happened and some not so much. But if you go and ask the head coach or any of, my, any of the teammates at that time, I was probably the most vocal person in a game on the bench. And so I can tell you of times when I almost got a technical because I was a little loud. Yeah, anyway, that's not what I want to talk about though. The most memorable day in my time there was, it was early December of my sophomore year, and we were getting ready to go and play a team that was up in Michigan. Now, I do need to preface, the teams that we played at Moody Bible Institute, so much better than us, because they could recruit and bring in people. You can ask anybody. We all believed it. We all knew it. But anyway, so we were getting ready to go play this game, and it was the day before, you know, if you've ever been in sports, the day before a game, you know, you're doing like the last minute tweaks and things like that. Well, all of a sudden we realized, you know, you're supposed to have like 10 on a team usually so you can scrimmage. No, no, no. That year we had eight, but it gets better. We were going into this game with five. And I remember looking at our head coach and going, what are we going to do if somebody gets injured, somebody fouls out? Like, what are we going to do, coach? And he turns and he says, you want to be a bench player? And I looked at him and I said, coach, I'm not even close to six foot. Like, and I'm not athletic. You sure you want me on the team? And he goes, yep. So we got all ready to go. I called my mom. She was like, are you crazy? And I said, yeah, I know. And I was like, all right, all right. So... We get there, and the whole game plan for me was go into the layup lines, be ready, but you're not going in the game. You're just an extra person, you know, live with it, it's okay. Well, the problem is three minutes left in the game, our center fouls out, and our coach now has one decision. Do we play four on five, or do I put in the manager? And I remember I'm sitting on the bench. I'm kind of sitting there going, ooh, I might get a chance. All right, okay. And I get this look. I'll never forget it. If I'm the head coach and he's looking down the bench, he goes, all right, you're in. Well, gets even better, right? So I've never played basketball except for fifth grade basketball. So this is going to be an even more better experience. I get in the game. And I go to box one of the guys out. Now remember, basketball players are a lot taller than me. Okay, I go to box him out. And instead of getting on him, he runs from the three-point line and jumps over me. 
completely cleared me. And the ref blows his whistle and says, that is the true definition of over the back. So, lucky enough, we're in double bonus. And if you don't know what that means in basketball, that means that person that got fouled gets two free throws. So I have to now go to the free throw line as the manager. And our head coach is sitting there doing one of these. He's going, our biggest fan and our manager are at the line. This isn't good. No, I do need to preface. It wasn't a close game, so it doesn't matter anyway. But I go, and I missed the first one. And I was like, oh, no. I can't go down in the record books as missing everything. This is not good. The ref gives me the ball, and I did. I sent up a quick prayer. We've all done it before, you know, one of those quick moments. I just went, Lord, please do not let me go down in history as an 0 for 2 from free throw line. I did make it. So that was good, right? But, the, thank you. But I don't say that story because it's so cool, right? Like, it is cool. I get to go down in the record books. I can forever say I was a collegiate athlete in basketball. I was only 5'6". I wasn't the biggest or most athletic. And as cool as that day was for me to be able to tell everybody in my life, and now you guys, there's an even more remarkable day in history. And that day took place, and you can read about it in your Bible. So if you want to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2, 1 to 20, we're actually going to read about a story that took place that had more meaning and would be forever celebrated and remembered in history. So again, if you want to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. And they read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off, found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. 
The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You see, the day that I played basketball is only remembered by me. Because a lot of the people that were there, except for like my grandparents, but they, it only matters to me, right? I'm the only one that will ever be able to fully grasp what it really happened that day on that court. However, the story we just read is not only remembered, but we celebrate it every single year. And we read about it every single year. And we celebrated it yesterday. And I want to dive into three different aspects that make this story not just memorable, but remarkable. And the first of those being that it was a remarkable birth. You see, the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, did not just happen with any old mom and dad or in any old little city and then have really cool people show up. But it happened with a Virgin Mary. That's how the whole story starts. You see, you read about it in Luke chapter 1 about how an angel appears to Mary and tells her that she is going to give birth and she's astonished. But has faith that it is going to happen. But on top of that, after she believes in what the angel told her, There's another change in the story, and we read about it in verse 1 of chapter 2, when Caesar Augustus has a census called for all to be registered, and they have to all go back to where they were from. Now, you might think, okay, Joseph and Mary gathering all their things and going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, not very far, right? Like, Israel's really not that big in the grand scheme of things. But I wanted to show you that distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem was actually 90 miles. Now, 90 miles to you and me today seems really quick, right? Hop in our car, we can get there in, what, hour and a half, maybe two hours, depending on if you hit traffic. Don't go through Chicago for 90 miles. That's a bad idea. But that 90 miles was a lot longer than it seems. You see, there's the map a picture of it. They had to go through mountains. They had to go through valleys. It wasn't a quick 90-mile trip on uh, Interstate 39, just right down. Uh Uh-uh. Hills and valleys. Now, 30 miles, like I said, would only be about an hour and a half for us, right? Do you know how long 30 miles takes to walk? 30 hours. I personally don't want to know how long it would truly take me to walk 30 or 90 miles. But 30 hours seems like a lot of work. I don't know if I want to even walk that far, to be honest. But they knew that they had to because that's where Joseph was from. That's where his line was from. So they pack up all their things, right? And they start walking that direction. I still am blown away that it took that long to get there, but it did. However, the story of them getting there actually helps us see more of what the Bible has for us than just this small story. You see, them going to Bethlehem 
actually fulfilled prophecy found in the Old Testament. There was a prophet named Micah who at that time was talking with the Israelites and giving the messages that God had for them. And Micah chapter 5 verse 2 reads, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. You see, the distance and the time that it took for them to get there, and when they got there and the baby was born, actually fulfilled the prophecy that was given so long ago. But the crazy thing and why I say it's remarkable is because this verse tells us Bethlehem was the bottom of the clans of Judah, of Israel. You see, there were 12 clans of Israel at that time, and they all had their awesome things about them. They all worked together in ways. But Bethlehem, everybody always looked at and said, nothing good's going to come from Bethlehem. Nothing good. But instead, God promises that one will come from them that'll be better than the best, that will be a ruler. But when they get there, it's now time, right? So we see that it's fulfilling prophecy, and now it's time for this baby to be born. And we know, looking at the scriptures, that it was the Son of God. But when they get there, there's no place for them to stay. You see, at that time, there's not a lot of inns. There's not a lot of hostels. So there's not a lot of availability when everybody's roaming the city or the whole country to get to where they need to be. So when they get there, there's no place for them to go except for a cave. I know, you always think of it as like this nice little wood shelter and it's really cool. But actually over there, Bethlehem's in the middle of like rocky, hilly area. And oftentimes where the animals would be placed would be in a cave. So the only thing available for them is to go to a cave. So you take it, right? Joseph is frantic trying to find a place for him to stay because Mary's time to give birth is now here. But to be born in a cave was not what they expected. You see, to be born in a cave was the opposite of what you would think of a ruler. A ruler, you would think, would be somebody in a big palace with all the wealthy gathered around you, bringing all sorts of awesome gifts, tons of money. But instead, the Savior of the world, Jesus, was born in a cave with animals around him. I don't know about you, but to be born in a cave would honestly probably be the most humble thing to do. But the world would actually probably call it humiliating because usually you're born in like a room with all sorts of cloth and people around to help if something was to go wrong. So it'd be humiliating to actually be born in a cave. But that's where our Savior was born. And the reason why I say that it would be considered humiliating is because R.C. Sproul, who is a theologian, puts it this way, humiliation began in his entrance into the world and ended in his exit from the world. You see, 
when we think of our Savior, when they thought of their Savior, their Messiah, their ruler, they thought of a king, someone coming in and going to take care of everything for them, and it was going to be done. But instead, it's the absolute opposite. He was born in the most humble way possible to save a world that really needed a humble savior. But we see this first part as the remarkable birth because it's very different from what they expected. It was shocking. We get to look back on it now and we get to see how shocking it was that this even took place and this is how it happened. But our story doesn't stop there. You see, our Savior was then placed in a manger. And then we skip forward to verse 8. It says that they placed him in the manger because there was no room. But then we jump forward and we see shepherds, right? They're out in the fields nearby. And these shepherds, I call the remarkable fans of that time. You see, when you think of a fan, probably thought of, you can probably think of many different people. We live in Packer country. Sorry, I'm a Colts fan. But you see, when you think of a fan, you think of somebody who gets all excited and will stop everything that they can do to watch or be a part of an event, right? Well, think back to what the shepherds did. The angel of the Lord appears to them and tells them that their Savior is born. And what do they do? They stop everything to go and see. The other part about these shepherds that makes it very different is that shepherds during this time were considered the worst economically. The church and the temple said that shepherds were unclean. They could never be clean because they were never coming to the temple enough. They were never doing enough sacrifices to the church and for God. So there was no way that they would even be considered to be even thought of, to be a part of the birth of the Savior. But they were. And so these shepherds are sitting out in the fields and the angels appear. And what do they do? They're terrified at first. Whoa, I don't even know what I would do if angels appeared, right? But after they hear of this good news of their Savior, they look at one another in verse 15 and they say, let's go to Bethlehem and see. I love verse 16. It says they hurried off. Now, that doesn't mean that they looked at their herd of sheep and said, okay, we're going to go this way. No, they left their job. The most important thing at that time to them and ran as fast as they could. They hurried off to go find what the angel had told them about. Merriam-Webster defines a fan as somebody who's enthusiastic and an enthusiastic devotee, usually as a spectator. The reason why I call the shepherds the remarkable fans is because they were so excited and devoted at that time to stop everything that meant anything to them, to go and see what they had been told. 
I don't know about you, but it would be really hard for me to all of a sudden, if like Dan came up and said, Trevor, we need to go do this. I don't know, I gotta finish my job first. But they were so devoted in that moment to leave their job, to go find their savior and be a part of an amazing story. One thing that is different too about these shepherds is they were never thought of to be the one to come and worship first. You know, I think back, if you play the story in your mind, they're in the middle of the city of Bethlehem and the birth happens and all sorts of people are probably, you know, hustle and bustle, running around. Oh, they probably stop and say, oh, what a cute baby. But they truly didn't know how special that baby was. They didn't actually know how cool it was until the shepherds showed up. And they go then and get to be the first ones to not only worship our Savior, but to go and tell others about this awesome event. Now you're probably wondering, all right, Trevor, where are you going? Like, we got a birth, we got fans, kind of different, never really heard this. You see, the story is a remarkable story because it involves unlikely people throughout the whole thing to be a part. But this story also has an impact for us today. You see, the shepherds got to be fans. They got to see what happened. But after they got done, they left rejoicing and praising God. But that's the last time we ever really hear about these shepherds. But for us, we get to see everything, right? We have this awesome book that tells us more about what happened following this event. You see, we have an opportunity to not just be fans of Jesus. Fans of Jesus are the cool people, you know, you think of, again, Green Bay Packer fans, most of y'all in here, right? You show up to the game, you cheer, woo woo, they won, great, what do you do? You go home. You might talk about it for a day or two, talk about that really cool catch, but it kind of gets forgotten. But instead, we have an opportunity to not be remarkable fans. We could be remarkable followers. When I think back to all of my time of Moody and being on the bench and being probably the loudest person in the gym, anybody would tell you I was their biggest fan but I was never their follower. You see, there's a major difference in what it means to be a follower instead of just a fan. Merriam-Webster, again, defines a follower as one who imitates another. You see, if you think about it, I got to go into the game, right? I was no good, absolutely no good. But I went in. I couldn't fully imitate what they do with the ball. That's a craft. But I can do one thing. I can learn from this story in the Bible 
and imitate what Jesus did all of his life. I might not be able to always cast out demons or do things like that, but I can show the love that he showed others. I can be someone that shows the world Christ in and through what I do. You see, a fan, again, is somebody watching from the outside looking in. When you're at a Packer game, where are you at? Are you on the field? Mm -mm. You're outside cheering them on on the inside. But a follower is somebody who's in the game, somebody who can make an impact in that life. You see, the shepherds actually weren't just fans. They showed us a glimpse of what it means to be a follower. What did they do? They returned praising and glorifying God and telling the world. All too often, it's easy to be a fan of Jesus. We can show up, be a part of church, go home, and then, all right, on to next week. But a follower goes, no, I want to be a part of it. I want to show the world more than just what, yeah, I go to church. But you have to make the right idea, or you have to choose First, to fully believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and his birth. You see, we have an amazing opportunity to be able to take the whole Bible and see this remarkable story completely unfold and read about it. But they back then didn't even have the story written down. And they took it to heart. You think back to all of the New Testament and what they did. Paul going to all these churches and telling them about it. Telling them about this story of Jesus being born. And they believed and took it to heart. And then decided to share it with all those around them. But you first have to believe in the story. See, it's one thing to pick up the book and read about Jesus' birth. It's another thing to believe in that it actually happened, that they really did walk 90 miles, that they really did have this remarkable place that he was born, that these shepherds who were not known for being a part of many things we're actually a part of the story. And once you believe in that, you then get this even greater opportunity to dig in to the life of Jesus and see the things that he did. But then you get to read what we later on find and how he died for you and for me and everyone and rose again on the third day so we would have an opportunity to believe in him. And all you have to do for that first part of being a follower is to pray for him to come into your heart. 
And once you do that, it's an even greater part. But you have to do that first. Pastor R. Kent Hughes puts it this way. He really did come into the world, and because of this, he really can come into your heart. You see, this remarkable birth really did happen. It's not a make-believe story that somebody decided to write down so we'd all just read about it every year and whoo-hoo, all right, cool, open gifts. But he really did come to earth. He really did come in the form of a baby in the most humble way possible. And he really did live a life that was sinless. And he really did die on the cross for you and for me. But he did rise again on the third day to defeat death. Now you might be saying, okay, I've already done that, Trevor. What do I do now? Like, I did that. Great. Once you believe in this story and the life and the birth and the death and the resurrection, we're not just called to sit there with that, but we actually are called to grow and develop in our life. And you can do this in many different ways. But the first one is to read your Bible, right? The only way you can grasp more and more about not just this story of your amazing, remarkable birth, but more about what God did and what he could and is going to do is to read it and allow him to grow more in your heart. Allow that to speak to you and allow him to use that. Another one is to pray. Ask and go to him and just talk. Prayer can look really, really, at times when people pray, you go, whoa, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. God's your best friend. He just wants to know what's going on. There's no perfect prayer. The perfect prayer is when you open up on what's going on. There's no perfect system to pray or anything like that. But to allow that communication to grow your relationship with God. Another one is to volunteer. I don't put this just in there to like get more volunteers. I actually put this in there because it's about being the hands and feet of Christ. It's about being a part of not just all about what I can do to grow myself, but actually how I can help others grow. You see, Jesus's life was a total example of helping others, and that's actually my last point, is to help others when, you, when they need it. You see, we get an opportunity to see the whole story. We get to see this remarkable birth that took place and did really happen. But we also get the opportunity to imitate Christ to all of those around us. You see, we as believers, we as Crossview Church, we aren't called to be spectators or fans on the outside going, you're doing great, keep it up, you can do it, cheer them on, woo. No, 
you, we as Crossview Church are called to be a player in the game, to get off the bleachers and start playing in the game. I want to end this morning with a quote from a pastor named John Hagee. And he says it this way, you have a divine purpose that no one else can fulfill. You have to get out of the bleachers and into the game if you want to affect the outcome of your life. You see, this story is just the beginning of what amazing things Jesus did here on earth. And this morning, I pray and hope that you wouldn't just look at this and say, cool, great birth. But you'd actually say, all right, Jesus, how can I grow deeper with you and not just be a fan of yours, but to be a follower of this amazing story, amazing life? Would you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you did, not only in your birth on this amazing night, but what you did throughout your whole life to show us how to be true light for you in the world. I pray and ask that in this time you'd help us to grow deeper in a relationship with you and help us to imitate what you did, to be remarkable followers of you in this dark world. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.